the Intersection Education Podcast. Schools are the place where different institutions, services, and societal influences meet. In other words, they're at the intersection of children's lives. In the Intersection Education Podcast, we speak with insiders and outsiders of the education world to try to gain new insight and improve our schools. Hello, and welcome to the Intersection Education Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Haley. Today we're speaking with Andrew Baxter. Andrew's worked in school-based and community mental health for over 18 years. And during his time with Alberta Health Services, he's provided direct treatment for students from K-12, through as well as consultation for their families and their teachers. He currently serves as the lead for the Alberta Mental Health Literacy Project, which is rolling out in school boards across the province. He's conducted mental health literacy trainings across Canada and assisted in other provincial territorial mental health literacy initiatives. In addition to acting as a consultant to school boards, Andrew provides training to parents, pre-service teachers, health care providers, and community partners. Andrew continues to serve on the School-Based Mental Health Quality Improvement Committee in Calgary, and his educational background is in social work and psychology. If you like what you're hearing, connect with us, Intersection Education. You can go to our website at intersectioneducation.com, follow us on Twitter at intersectioned, and we're even on Facebook, and we really appreciate it when you rate us on iTunes and leave a review. Here's my conversation with Andrew Baxter. Andrew Baxter, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, how are you? I'm good, Corey. Thanks. Uh, despite the rain outside and uh, you know the gloominess, I'm I'm good today. How about you? I I'm doing well as well. I I don't mind a rainy day every so often. I find that it's uh, it lets me do things that that are more inside. It kind of focuses my attention. So yeah, I'm kind of liking the rain today. Yeah, I'm not minding it either. You know, um, one of the reasons that I really wanted to get you on, I mean, obviously from your background, is to, is to talk about mental health. But I feel like we are still at a point for many people where where we need to define it so that when we do get into speaking about mental health, that we, we kind of have a common understanding. So I'm interested to know, when you're asked to define mental health, how, how do you answer? Yeah, so so much of my time is spent uh, not only defining mental health, but also clarifying the difference between mental health and mental illness or mental disorder. Um, so, you know, from, from my perspective, this is a really important component of health. It's part of health. Um, and I just don't think you can separate uh, the connection between the mind and the body. Uh, a healthy brain is what gives us mental health. And, and the, the brain and the body are just inextricably linked. Um, that means that you know, what's good for, for uh, things that we do uh, for ourselves physically can have really good benefits for us mentally and vice versa. Um, it, it really means uh, mental health is that capacity that we have to adapt to everyday challenges in life and, and, and uh, uh, confront them and get through them. So to me, it's being adaptive. Um, it's, it's being flexible. It's responding to stress and stressors. Um, and I think the other thing that I, that I always point out it, it, good mental health can't be defined as 
as an absence of negative mood states, right? Like not having a bad day is, uh, is not good mental health. Uh, mental health has a wide range of emotions in it. It's uh, feeling bored, feeling sad, uh, feeling elated, uh, f- feeling burned out, right? That's good mental health. It should be that whole range uh, of emotions, not just the positive ones. I'm glad we started there because I think that what you said right, right at the end is is important. And, and as we go forward, having that range of emotion, as you say, and just n- not people who are mentally healthy are not always 100% of the time, you know, smiling and happy and exuberant and all this kind of stuff. Uh, normal and healthy is a range. So uh, I really like that perspective. But I'm, but I'm interested to know your your take on why you think mental health has uh, grown, why we talk about it more. And I, I was thinking about my teacher training and we're going back a while, but I don't think we had a single course where we talked about mental health. We didn't have, uh, we talked about a few disorders, but mostly they were about learning and less about mental health. But it seems now that's much more part of the conversation. We realize it's importance. What, what do you, what do you think some of the reasons for that are? Yeah, I think it's I think it's multifaceted. I think that we are uh, seeing some some really positive elements like reduction of stigma. Uh, we still have a long way to go on that, but I think we're making progress. Uh, so it's it's uh, easier to talk about. It's more acceptable to talk about. Uh, awareness has improved, uh, and I, I like to think that literacy is is improving as well. Um, talking with the right facts is just as important as talking. I think sometimes just talk can, can be quite problematic, but if we've got good information and can have informed conversations, then we're well on our way. Um, I think, I think some other things have broken down a few barriers uh, to some extent, uh, social media may have, uh, caused some improvements. Um, uh, we're, we're learning more about the brain and, and neuroscience is helping us uh, progress on that front. Uh, again, lots to learn left, but uh, I think those are some of the things that have opened the doors to these conversations and just uh, let us be more generally aware of how important mental health is, especially in learning at school. Yeah. I, I as a lay person, am always astounded how, how much we're learning about the brain and neuroscience and, and I like to follow that stuff. So I, yeah, I think that that's really exciting, and and, and I'm glad that we're talking about it. Uh, mental health uh, is is really important. We see the effect, mm-hmm. but um, you know, you are in a unique position because you talk, you speak with people, and you training with people across the province of Alberta. And I'm wondering, what are you seeing as as the topic of mental health comes up? What are you seeing the biggest issues that schools are facing? What are are some of those main questions that you get when you ask, hey, to teachers or to people who are uh, working in schools? um, You know, what what issues do you have? How can we help you and what are you seeing out there? Well, I don't think you're going to be too surprised by my answer. I think the biggest topic that I'm asked to address when going into schools is anxiety. Um, that is the word of the <laughs> the, the season, it seems. Uh, I think it's being used uh, to probably um, inaccurately describe a lot of states that people see in kids. Um, I think it's, it's in our common parlance. And I think that the big problem uh, with the top of anxiety is so many people are getting uh, confused what's normal stress and stressors, uh, what's normal worry uh, with clinical anxiety disorder. Um, and so there's a lot of confusion and, and there's a lot of concern about, oh, are, are students too stressed or um, how is anxiety in the classroom happening? Is this avoidance withdrawal normal? Uh, so that is the number one topic for sure. 
Um, and of course, now with our current uh, pandemic situation, I'm getting asked even more and more questions about it. I'm wondering, I'm wondering, do you see a difference between what you see or what you're hearing in schools and when you talk with parents or community organizations, or is it pretty aligned? I wondered if, you know, school, because we have this focus on learning, if we're seeing a little bit of different things than what parents might, might see or what different community organizations might see. Yeah, no, I, I actually find that there is a fair amount of alignment. It does tend to be around stress and anxiety. That's uh, that's what everybody's interested in. And, and it's it's actually provided quite an opportunity to, to bring up those groups together in terms of developing their literacy. Um, my favorite way to work in schools and communities is to to hit hit the school, um, hit hit the community agencies, and and get the parents involved all at the same time, because if we share that common literacy around those words, it's going to be far easier to have those kind of connections, help kids get to services if they need them, also build capacity to deal with the kids that are just suffering from worry or distress, and maybe not a, a you know we're, we don't want to go down that route of pathology unnecessarily. Yeah, that's actually kind of nice to hear. I'm actually, <laughs> it's a, a little bit relieving to hear that the worries or the issues that educators are dealing with are not very different from parents or anyone else. And that means we can, we can have that common language or that common training. Do you do sessions where you, you've got, you know, parents and teachers and organizations uh, all together a lot? Uh, it's not the most frequent way we practice, but we do do that. Um, and and I always say with the go-to educator, the more the merrier. Um, we've had sessions where we've involved school-based nurses, police, occupational therapists, psychologists, anybody, come one, come all. I, I always joke that the training's relevant so long as you have a brain. Um, it, it's, it's really good information for everybody. Um, usually what we do is we'll train with, with school, uh, faculty or sorry, school staff. And then subsequent to that, we'll do a, an evening session for, uh, the parents that want to come. Uh, so it's not always together, but it, it has been in the past as well. And those are really neat learning opportunities where, uh, teachers can learn alongside parents and vice versa. You know, I, I have done your go-to educator training and I found it really helpful, uh, especially around, naming things that we saw having being able to say oh the, i think that this is like this and as you said not not you uh, properly using it not overusing it perhaps um so besides that training what do you think some of the other resources that you feel are really helpful so let's say someone can't get to the go-to educator uh training session they can't do that day where might you say hey um why don't you go here for some extra information or if you're having questions about mental health especially in teens yeah sure i mean it really depends on the audience one of the uh really fantastic opportunities we've developed for teachers is at the teachmentalhealth.org site and that's run through ubc in partnership with us and as well as saint effects and western um and it allows uh teachers that are practicing or pre pre-service teachers to train on the curriculum and it's a really good mental health 101 uh course for them and it's it's free of charge I think you, you pay if you want a certificate from the UBC so it can count towards professional development hours. That's a great resource for educators to train at. And I think we just clicked over our 10,000th user there. Um, for uh, parents uh, and, and youth, I'd really recommend our site, teenmentalhealth.org. We've got a lot of materials um, if you're concerned about parents or if you're concerned about the mental uh, health of, of siblings or if you, you're concerned you've got a disorder yourself. Uh, there's a lot of really good evidence-based information on the site that you can uh, search through and, and find what you're looking for. Um, other uh, websites that I really like, um, Anxiety Canada has some really nice resources. 
um, that are well organized for youth um, as well as uh, parents. So uh, good stuff there. Um, with younger uh, students, um, I often recommend SEL approaches, social emotional learning uh, materials. Uh, but just make sure you got ones that are well vetted, that have good evidence and well established. Um, those work well in schools and are, are a good foundation to build off of. Sounds great. I'm I'm glad to hear that there. Are, it seems like you guys are well versed and you've put a lot of information out there for free for for people who, like I said, can't get to the training because there's only <laughs> so much of you and so much of your team, I imagine. But um, it, it's great that 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 can be online. So that's. That's great. And and you answered my next question too, which was, you know, what does it look like for younger students or for people who, who are, you know, worried about some of the younger students that they or the younger kids that they deal with? Yeah, so I'm jumping ahead there. But, you know, establishing that good emotional repertoire, understanding uh, relationship, those are, those are so fundamental and key. Um, and I think really, again, with uh, the youth, um, those younger age kids, don't forget those basic connections to good eating, good sleeping, good exercise. Those are the fundamentals of good mental health. Um, the other thing that we're starting to generate right now, and I'm really excited about this, is um, an elementary uh, curricular resource for, for that age group. And we've launched this with educators across Alberta and indeed with partnerships across different provinces and around the world. And we've got... Um, uh, input from the field coming in right now about what they'd like that resource to look like. Um, so it's going to take us some time to write up and develop and then field test. Um, but uh, educators can look for that in the future. And we're, we're going to make that a, a free available resource that's based on the evidence that can help youth in, in the elementary population. That's awesome. I'm, yeah, uh, I'll be looking for that for sure. You know, when you go or when one attends the the go to educator training session, I know that there's a lot of information and there's a lot of learning the language and learning the definitions and and all that kind of stuff. But I'm I'm interested in a little bit more than that. When you when you do this outside of just the information, what are some of the the changes in perspectives that you're hoping that those people walk away with? How are you hoping that their thinking around mental health changes? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I, I think one of the things that I've I've both witnessed and we've actually measured is that the more people know, uh, the more their attitudes improve and and the more stigma uh, falls away. And uh, I think that that people having that understanding better equips them to conceptualize what it's like to struggle with a mental illness or to work with a student that's uh, that's struggling in that way or what a challenge to uh, a to their mental health looks like, not even a mental disorder. Um, building that capacity and seeing that reflected back is just awesome. Um, we also know that um, once the training is over, uh, people go back and have these conversations with their families. Uh, students, when they learn it in school, go back and talk about it at the dinner table. And our little inside joke is that it's mental health by stealth, right? These these lessons and these learnings creep back out into the community at large, and they go back into families and go back to parents. Um, so just seeing that continued conversation is really re rewarding. Well, and that's exactly what I have seen. I've seen a societal shift. And one of the reasons for that societal shift, I think, is your training where people um, are are exposed to a different way of thinking around mental health from from early childhood when they get to school. I think that I see teachers um, speaking about mental health. And so uh, I think the work that you're having 
the work that you're doing is having a big imp- in, impact on that uh, that stealth nudging about how we we think about it. So that's that's really great. Yeah, I, I think too that uh, educators, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that they come away with with that sense of of how important the role that they can play in uh, in students obtaining and maintaining positive mental health, as well as uh, being really well situated as identifiers for youth that that are struggling with uh, disorders that may need uh, further care, right? That um, they're so perfectly situated to refer youth up to services or to to monitor and screen because they have so many lenses and and um, educators know their students so well and that relationship is so important in this process. It would be remiss of me not to talk about our current situation. Um, you know, we're in the middle as we record this of of one of the largest shutdowns because of, you know, COVID and, and the response to that. And, and I imagine that it's going to have a big effect on mental health. I'm interested to see or to hear what you're seeing now. Um, so if you've seen any short-term effects and maybe talk about some of the things that you foresee as this kind of slowly opens up and as students return to whether that be school or a, a little bit more normal situation. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't think anybody has a crystal ball on this situation, and, and I'm I'm guessing uh, what the impacts are going to be right along with everybody else. I think we're in the midst of a giant experiment right now, and and nobody can say for sure where we think this is going. Um, the, the the thoughts I've had around it are that you know youth that are at risk before this pandemic are the ones that continue to be at risk during it. Um, you know, we're concerned about things like domestic violence or sexual abuse or or problems that are ongoing in homes. That's concerning. We know that that um, social isolation is going to have an impact. I, I think about this with my own kids who are preteens, but, you know, as a teenager going into social isolation, I don't know if I would have coped very well with these kind of restrictions. It would have been pretty tough. So definitely a blow uh, to our mental health. Um, I'm not not sure if if the predictions that are dire around mental illness are, are going to manifest or not. We'll have to wait and see. Um, my suspicion, again, is that those are at risk before, are going to be at risk during, and are going to be at risk on reintegration. And, and um, as the uh, restrictions drop, that those are the populations I think we really need to, to watch out for, those vulnerable populations. I think the other thing that's in the mix here is, is the digital divide, you know, the have and have nots with access to uh, internet and, and connectivity. Um, I know that one group that we're working with in the United States right now, in one school district, they were packed off uh, from school with uh, Chromebooks for everybody to access the online classes. And in other areas of the country, it was sort of good luck. And maybe if you've got a computer, we might be able to talk. So I, I think that's uh, another unknown. Um, so it's going to be a lot of adjustment. Um, I think we're going to have to wait and see. The good thing I know is that humans are pretty resilient. Uh, we wouldn't have uh, done so well so far, you know, without being so. Uh, so I think we can uh, we can get through it, and and it's not going to be easy. But um, there you go. Yeah, and and more importance on having those good perspectives and having that knowledge so that we can can help so that hopefully it doesn't descend into illness. Absolutely. Yeah. Now. I'd like to talk about education a little bit more generally. And, and, and that is, you know, if I look at your role, something that you perhaps are not a trained teacher, but heck, are you doing a lot of educating these days? 
Is there something that you think about learning your education, whether in, you know, what you do with adult education or even about school learning that you really believe is true, but when you talk about it with others, you get a little bit of pushback on. People don't actually agree with you about what you think. Yeah, that's that's a it's a tricky question. I mean, I think as I was reflecting on this, um one of the things, and I don't think people would disagree with me, but it's maybe something I'd love to see more of in both my own uh, profession and people that are providing treatment, but also in education is just making sure that we're evaluating and measuring things that we're doing. Um, because otherwise, how do we know that they're they're uh, impactful and how do we know that they're having the right effect? So bringing a critical eye to things like programs or approaches or uh, uh, classroom strategies or whatever it is. Are we checking to see that they're having the desired impact? Um, are we kicking the tires on things and really bringing a critical eye and thinking to whether materials and programs are going to work and what kind of evidence do they have behind them? I'd like to see more of that. And I, I think that um, often there's a, there's this fear of, well, if we measure it, we might not like get the results we want. <laughs> and that's and that's really important. That's the exact time to go forward with it. And I think that uh, we need to pe- make people feel comfortable with that process. Um, you know, I had an old uh, research methodology professor who said, you know, if you're if you're steering a boat, you pick a point on the horizon, then you don't just go and let go of the tiller and walk away. You make minor course adjustments along the way. Otherwise, you end up in the wrong place. And I think the same can be said for a lot of the things that we do in education. Are, do we know where we're going? Uh, are we are we um, efficiently supplying ourselves with enough feedback and measurement that we can adjust that course? You know, I, I think that uh, that's one of the things that I took away from the training that I did with you is that um, I was pleasantly surprised to see the the pre and post test and 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 you kind of talked about that hey we're going to see whether what we're doing is of value whether you learned things or or whether we had the impact that we wanted so that's interesting that that you know I, I did the training with you a few years ago and I still remember that and so that is coming I think in education and yeah you're 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 talking my language there I love that assessment <laughs> good good. You know, I'm interested in learning environments, and I'm sure that you've seen a bunch, both formal and informal, and uh, as you walk through the the province, you've probably had a couple learning environments thrust upon you, and you've probably even thought about what kind of way or what kind of environment leads to learning. When you think about the experiences that you've had and, and the greatest learning experiences, what was it about them that made them made them powerful? Was it you know the people or the places or the activity? What helped? What do you think helped make the learning better? For me, I, I think that relationship with the person that I'm learning from is is critical, um, and and uh, I think that's a powerful tool that educators have at their disposal and should utilize as much as possible. I, I think that um, you know obviously uh, being able to be flexible in learning and learning and learning what you're interested in uh, goes a long way. Um, you know, I was in, in thinking about this, one of the things that comes to my mind was it was a great experience I had in university, which was in a neurology class that I took. And, uh, you know, we spent a semester grinding over, uh, neurons and neurotransmitters and uh, axons and, and anatomy, neural anatomy. And uh, it was a very, you know, in-depth course, but at the very end, the final exam question was, uh, you know, your grandmother who doesn't know a lot about the brain asks you what it is and what it does, explain it to her in a few paragraphs. And I thought that was such a, a really powerful question because the professor said, 
you're really useless unless you can convey this knowledge, unless you can do that knowledge translation piece to somebody else. And uh, I've always tried to take that away. So it's great to know these things, but can you communicate it to others? Um, and how do you do that knowledge translation? And um, th that aspect just fascinates me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and we talk about that, but that's that would be a, an intro. How'd you do on that final? I did great, actually. And I think that was the question that was worth the most. And that was the best part about it, right? So you can translate what you learned and, and go from the minutia details to, to uh, the, the general takeaways. And I think that, that that part has always stuck with me. You know, looking back and thinking about the experiences you've had, I wonder if you have a favorite success or a favorite failure that you think about. Some, some opportunity or some situation where you either had um, something very positive or perhaps something negative that happened to you that really informed how you do things going forward and you think about it often. Oh, yeah. I have so many failures. I'm not sure if I could pick a favorite. Um, uh, but I think that's part of the point is that I, I think that I've learned a lot more from my failures than my successes. And I always challenge the groups that I train with to think back on their own failures and successes. And, and, and most of the time people raise their hands to, yeah, I learn most from my failures. Um, I had a stunning one during a, a, a test where uh, it, was a, it was a test on a computer. It was a computer-aided design test. And I was asked to do these very in-depth tasks. And I blanked on about the second step. And uh, I sat there for the rest of the test, not knowing what to do. Um, and at the end, uh, I went and talked to the professor and uh, we had a really good relationship. And uh, he said, wow, what happened? Because you, you, you know this stuff. And I, I said, well, I just blanked on this step. So he gave it to me, gave me the step and I was able to complete the entire task. And I thought, wow, is he going to, is he going to pass me on this? And he didn't. <laughs> he said, he said, well, that's really too bad. I, I, I'm sure you've got more space in the rest of the course to pick your mark back up. And, and so I had to do that. And I, I think back at that and I, and I think, what was he really teaching me there? And he was very supportive in allowing me to fail. And it, that's always stuck with me. And I'll tell you, I was a lot more prepared after that and uh, learned a really valuable lesson through that failure. Yeah supported failure. I mean, that, that really is tied with mental health because a lot of people, when they think about it, oh, we can't let these kids feel sad at all. It might, you know, spiral them down. And so it sounds like you don't support that, uh, that, that perspective. No, no, because I mean, failures, you know, what happens during a failure is to get that yucky feeling in yourself. And that's actually the distress response saying, you need to change what you're doing, right? Take a different approach. And, and so that's a really powerful motivator. And I think really the way you look at that failure uh, dictates how you're going to respond and can have some really positive uh, motivators in the future. And if we deprive youth of that experience, um, we're, uh, you know, we're going to be doing them a really big disservice. Now, outside of uh, the websites that you kind of mentioned, do you have any apps or websites or maybe even films that you're really enjoying right now or that you feel either yourself you're consulting or that you're recommending other people look at? Yeah, those websites that I mentioned before, I'm a big podcast fan, actually. Um, so I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, I don't know if you want me to name specifics. Yeah, but, what are uh, some of the podcasts that you're listening to? I'm interested to know on a personal side, like just what kind of what kind of thing interests you know the you. Oh yeah, I love learning. Um, so uh, I listen to a lot of free economics podcasts. Um, I listen to a podcast called "You're Not So Smart." <laughs> uh, I listen to uh, "How Things Work" podcasts. Uh, you know, and a few true crime ones thrown in there for good measure as well. That's awesome. 
I, uh, uh, well, you know, you know, uh, on this show, we're we're heavy on the podcasts, so we, we good love stuff. It. Yeah. Um, how about a book that you really like, or that you quote, or even um, ask other people to read or recommend to others? Okay. Well, I swear I don't get kickbacks on this, but I, I I'm always in my training talking about uh, Kim, Tim Caulfield's book, The Cure for Everything. Uh, it's a great look at. Uh, uh, exercise physiology and eating and 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 the evidence behind that and and what we have uh, he cuts through a lot of the junk that's out there in the in the uh, health and wellness movements that that are out there and what we actually know for sure scientifically and he vets it in a really uh, funny and approachable way and I just I just like his his critical mind so that's that's a book that gets uh, a lot of shout outs in my training. Love it. Uh, it is one of my favorite books as well. So that's, that's amazing. And I remember reading oh, there that you go. quite a few years ago. Uh, just totally changed. Yeah, just totally changed my mindset about, you know, how we look at um, health information. And, exactly. And, and how we do that. And, you know, his follow-up books are, are great. And I just saw um, that he's coming out with another one around Christmas. So I'm looking forward to that too. Yeah, indeed. Um, what is one thing that you do every day that keeps you well and healthy? I'd like to say exercise, but if I'm going to be really honest with you, I don't get to it every day, but I try to, I try really hard. Um, that's a big one for me. Exercise, um, time with my family is really important. And then a little bit of time for myself. And I often spend that uh, either playing my guitar or um, reading or something like that. So yeah, those are the things that kind of keep me on track. Do you have an organization or a person that's really inspiring you these days? Someone that you're looking to or some uh, some organization that you're looking to and saying, hey, they're doing really good work? Yeah, I mean, I I, I can't uh, go without mentioning one of my big mentors, who's Dr. Stan Kucher. And a lot of the, the stuff that I do, he, he generated this stuff. And I've had the opportunity to work with him pretty closely over the past, well, probably since about 2013 uh, in, in working on these materials. And He's gone on to be a Canadian senator and uh, is, is doing fantastic work there. Um, and, and just all the people at teammentalhealth.org. And uh, that's uh, the new Alberta team and the group that used to be out in uh, Nova Scotia has just been fantastic to work with. And I learn from them every day. And uh, it's just super energizing to be around people that are that passionate around this topic. So now what's next for you? Uh, I guess, I guess one of the answers or one of the questions should be is, is how has your role uh, changed since the lockdown and the, and the different COVID precautions and, and what do you see or what are you guys working on as you go forward? You've already mentioned the curricular links and the curricular tie-ins, anything else that we should look forward to? Yeah, sure. I mean, boy, I tell you, we, we've had our materials and I think the last count I had, it was 24 countries around the world that, that are running it in some way, shape or form. And when COVID happened, of course, they all mobilized into moving it into online. And that has uh, been, um, we've had to respond very quickly in, in um, helping people get that set up. Um, and they've been doing an absolutely fantastic job. We ourselves are, are putting more trainings online. So that's certainly a part. Uh, we're conducting a training right now in, uh, in Jamaica um, where they're, uh, they're doing a mental health literacy across their country. So the uh, Ministry of uh, Education and um, Health are both involved. So that's really exciting to watch it uh, evolve. Um, the elementary guide, as I mentioned, um, we're, we're um, uh, working on that. And we're also working on um, doing a mental health resource for Indigenous populations right now across Canada. 
um, and we're about a year into that work. Um, it's still going to be a, a, a lot longer before we, we get something that's ready to go out into the field because we're trying to be really um, uh, respectful and uh, inclusive in, in how we do that and do it right. Um, and then, you know, we're going to try and see if we can launch a little bit of a podcast of our own, but that's on the distant horizon. So those are the things in the uh, irons in the fire right now. Wow. Sounds like it's going to keep you busy. So that's great. Yeah. No shortage of work. That's for sure. <laughs> okay. So, um, you know, we, we will put all of the websites that you mentioned on our, in our show notes. Um, and uh, any other ways that people can maybe connect with you? Uh, are you on Twitter at all? I am. I'm on Twitter. I have the worst Twitter handle ever. It's MHL Project Co. Um, for uh, Mental Health Literacy Project Coordinator, but it's MHL Project Co. You can find me there. Uh, you can access through the website at teenmentalhealth.org. We're, we're on there. Uh, we've been adding some new uh, videos to our YouTube channel. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds Good great. Stuff. So you can search us up. Yeah. Good. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. I really appreciate you taking some time. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the work that you're doing is, is having a big impact on, on schools and on our society. And, uh, I'm just so thankful that I was able to speak with you and that you were able to answer some of our questions. Oh, thanks so much, Corey. I appreciate the interest. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Intersection Education Podcast. Before you go, I'd like to recognize that the land where this interview took place is a sacred place that has a long history of human existence. This land has helped people like the Cree, Salto, Nisitapi or Blackfoot, Métis, and Nakota Sioux live well for thousands of years. Let us continue to live well and respect this land.